Welcome to The Great Unlearn. Join me, your host, Cal, as we dive deep into understanding and unlearning the programming within us. Let's uncover your inner truth for a life with newfound purpose and freedom. Get ready to question it all in The Great Unlearn. I get ideas of spiritual tasks that the universe wants me to complete. And sometimes I matriculate them to the top of the list. And sometimes I leave them somewhere down at the bottom. It's like, yeah, I'll get to that. And I'm really in a, in a season right now with infinite opportunities and possibilities because, you know, you know, even as a, as an athlete, as an investor, as a, as anybody in in your life, as someone who's building something, when the momentum's hot, you know, you fucking go, right? But my momentum is perpetually hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like I have to get used to I'm in a new landscape and I have to make a new set of priorities and I have to really value the yin time, value my spiritual practices, value my grief practices, whatever I need to do. And of course, like I can ignore it and continue to go on and I don't want to do that forever. So right now is like a very strong call to just put all of the cards out on the table. It's almost like I want, like in those old movies, you know, they have those like the war room meeting where you have all these different pieces and you move these pieces around. It's almost like I want a tangible vision board type of situation with all of my projects. And I want to look at them all and I want to move some to the front, like I was playing chess, move some to the front, move some to the back, have a little war council with myself about what's really important about the campaign in my life. I love that idea because I'm in a very similar kind of charging energy right now. And it feels really good because there's things that I'm really connected to that are moving. I want to be present for the ride. I want to be a part of it. I need to be more discerning because I haven't spent the time for my rest. I have to rely on a faculty that's more intelligent than my brain, subconscious, spiritual intelligence that just knows what to do because I can't figure it all out. We had a lot to talk about today and, you know, we were limited on time, but I definitely want to get into Awake in the Darkness, mm-hmm. amazing documentary film about your journey in the darkness retreat, which again, we were just talking about the last time you were on, you had just come out of it. Yeah. So it's I'm really interested to hear what's, um, you know, been integrated since that conversation. I want to talk about on it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's a lot to unpack there. We're not going to have a lot of time, but there's a few things that I really want to drill in. Um, you know, <laughs> one thing that is of particular interest to me is you, Aubrey Marcus, the person, the guy I know, and then Aubrey Marcus, the brand. And so people come up to you and they listen to your podcast. They have some sort of touch on you. And they, they know about you, right? Because there's stuff that we keep within our tighter circles too, as much as you share, mm. right? And I feel this too, like I share a lot on, on this podcast. So people maybe think they know me, but they, they, you know, as Ted Decker would say, they know about me and they know some things about me, but they don't really know me. So mm-hmm. I'm really curious about what, um, yeah, how you, how you manage that? Because I think, I'm guessing people project a lot onto you as this particular person. And you're like part is part of like you're you have a huge brand and you're helping a lot of people through that brand. You're, you're very much a spiritual teacher. 
but there are some some pieces and I'm sure there's there's a lot of setting you up on a pedestal which can be really challenging because then we don't get to have the real conversation the heart to heart conversation when someone is viewing you there right yeah everything you're saying makes sense but actually it's quite comfortable for me really it's quite comfortable i it's because i'm constantly trying to disintegrate all of the projections that people are putting i'm intentionally going out to remind people of my humanness and that's mm. just like a part of my sadhana is like this is a part of my practice is to remind everybody like yeah me too whatever you're feeling yeah me too so while i get some of that like i don't <clears throat> it doesn't really bother me and i actually get less of it than you'd think now that's not to say that there aren't people who are trying to take my name and what I stand for and rake it through some <laughs> mud that they've created out of their own filth. And, you know, this, this is the way of our time right now. It's like, oh, somebody's saying things that we don't like what they're saying. It's challenging some beliefs we have. It's opening us ourselves up to the vulnerability of the belief that we could be different. Fuck that guy. Let me tear him down, remove that option from my psychic realm of possibilities, and then I don't have to worry about it. I think that's a lot of the motivation behind it. Or they're just indoctrinated in some identity culture. They want to put me below them in their hierarchy of people who give a shit about other people, which is the most ironic thing in the world, right? Mm. Like, if I can put him underneath me, I feel better about myself because I care more about people. But don't mind the people that I'm putting underneath me to make me, make me feel better about myself. <laughs> It's wild that it's wild that they are able to navigate that. So there's some of that, you know, there's some people who want to project things that aren't true about me. And, um, this is just part of the game. This is just like, this is a part of it. And, you know, like there's recently, there's this, you know, I'm not going to mention which publication it is, but there's this big kind of media publication. That's, I know that they're after me trying to get access so they can do a hit piece. I've seen him do it to some people I know. And I don't know why they think that I'm so stupid that, that I would think that they're actually trying to do something nice for me. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, I fucking get your game. Yeah, like, yeah. you cannot come film me yeah. and come film fit for service. Yeah. That's, that's a no. Oh my God. That's yes. a no. No. So it's, it's an interesting landscape, but I don't mind it. And uh, I will say that, that the, the stuff that, that you put out and, and it's for me, it's Instagram is where I see a, a lot of your content. You do a tremendous job of holding the line of being in integrity about how you feel, mm -hmm. but almost like just taking all those things out that, you know, I would say could be triggering. Now there are those who are going to be triggered, but they're just, they're, they're going to hang on anything yeah. and pull from it what they want. But I, I commend you on wading into that space. For me, I don't really post much because it's just, yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of people that love it. And it's the incoming people that they're, they're just, they're not trying to have a conversation. It's not like I have to respond, but I actually try to, you know, uh, hold space for, for them. But they're, it, it becomes kind of a, um, it's definitely, it feels like a useless practice. Mm. So that, that I, I commend you on how you're able to articulate and, and really include everybody in, you know, almost like you're front running, like what they're, what they're 
argument's going to be. And, yep. and then it like comes in the next paragraph. And yeah, so yeah, it's yeah, really yeah. well done. Yeah. I mean, I, I think ultimately um, you can be right, but if you make your rightness make somebody else feel wrong, they're just going to dig their heels in and double down on it. Right. Like, so it's how do you deliver an invitation for them to adopt a different point of view? And rather than trying to tell them that they're wrong, I think that's a big issue that we have. Everybody's trying to tell the other person that they're wrong, shame them into believing something different. It doesn't work. Invite them lovingly into a new perspective. And maybe you have a chance, still hard as hell. Because that identity that they're attached to, which is their belief, that thing has to die. And that death feels like a real death. So when you're asking someone to change their mind, you're asking them to kill off a part of who they know themselves to be. And that's hard. Yeah. Oh, I tip my cap to you, brother. Thank you, brother. I'm doing my best. Doing <laughs> yeah. my best. I'd love to just start with on it. And um, you recently had a, an exit there. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, I'm sure it's brought a, a lot of different things into your life. And so I'm, I'm curious about, you know, for lack of a better term, you, you got a big whack of cash after that. Yeah. And, and so how have you felt your relationship with money changing since, you know, like you always did really well, mm -hmm. but it's different when they're like, Oh, by the way, now you have this. Yeah. And so it's hard to do. I know we had a conversation about it months yeah. ago and, you know, I haven't necessarily had that. My, my tra trajectory has been different. And, and, and so, I'm really curious about what it feels like to, yeah, to be, you know, offered this opportunity. What are the challenges? Yeah. You would think that your relationship with money gets better the more you have. I didn't experience that. I feel like I was always, even when I was actually legitimately in scarcity, you know, things with the business dried up, expenses got high, taxes got above what my, projected income was and things were, were squirrely, I still found myself able to step into greater abundance easier. It's the most counterintuitive paradoxical thing. And then I get all of this cash and then all of a sudden, like, it's like, oh no, where's, what am I going to do with this? It's going to evaporate. I'm going to make the wrong moves. Where is it going to go? Oh shit, I'm losing it all. Like it's a, it was a very strange kind of recalibration. And it was like, I had so much more to protect that it brought out a different mindset. And, you know, it's taken a, a year. It hasn't been a full year, but it's taken, you know, this amount of time for me to finally get comfortable and be like, okay, let me make sure that I'm doing some sensible things, at least with this. But this is, <laughs> this is concurrent with this very interesting macroeconomic situation where it's like, where is the safe place to put money? You know, like is real estate safe place? I don't know. Could be a, could be a big bubble is, is the market. Well, the market's been pretty, pretty rough. Like crypto. Well, that was looking good in November. That's, that's why I a got fucking it. ride, dude. Holy <laughs> it's shit. It's a ride. It's a ride. So I don't know. I think, I think it's, it's really about though recalibrating my attitude. I think part of it was that I always knew that I had on it. And like, I knew on it was worth something. So it was like, I had a card that I had, you know, face down in my sleeve. It was like, oh, I got the on it card. So oh, yeah. now I don't have on it anymore. Right. So I have like, wait, what if I can't make any more money? 
what if this was all the money I'll ever have? Yeah. You know, and it's not true, of course, but I don't, I'm not planning to build another company like this. So in some ways, like this money is different than the money before because it's actually gone from potential to realized. And once it's realized, then I can actually lose it because you can't lose potential. I mean, of course you could, but it's, it's just been a weird, it's been a weird process, you know, and, and um, a lot of internal work has had to go in to like sorting that out and also understanding, like you'll read, you'll read studies that, that show that, you know, people who have over $40 million of net worth are just riddled with anxiety about their money. And they all feel like they would be fine if they had 25% more. Right. And they have so much, but everybody's saying the same thing, whether you got 40 million, a hundred million, a billion, everybody's like, ah, and it's this very strange psychological process. And I've had to like really check myself and be like, all right, man, fucking what is going on in your head? Cause everything is great. Yeah. And that's interesting. You bring up the scarcity and, and it's like, yeah, 40 million, a hundred billion. There is that it's, it's not enough because there is that scarcity underneath it. And so it's, uh, and I, I particularly love that you brought up like this potential was actually realized in, in a great way. Yep. And you know, it's, in, in, it's counterintuitive to what anybody would think. Like now you have it, like now you know where you stand there. It's no longer, is it worth this or two X or yep. half of that? So it's really, I love, I love hearing that perspective because I, again, I haven't gone through that particular mm-hmm. path. You know, and you mentioned this idea, is it safe? And, and so I'm curious, how are you looking? Are you looking for stuff that's safe? Like if you had to maybe throw out a pie chart, like what portion of it's safe? What portion of it is, you know, private equity? I don't, I don't really know where this will go, but maybe it's an 8X, a 10X or something else. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, how it went down, 25% goes straight to Uncle Sam, capital gains tax. So that part is gone, evaporated immediately. Um, some of it went into real estate and, uh, and some of it went into donations, donated a big piece of land um, to a church that's carrying on the tradition of my teacher, Don Howard. Mm-hmm. And so that was a major chunk, a lot of other donations. So probably at least 10% or more, maybe 15% was just straight up donated. Probably another 5% was gifts to friends and family and, you know, a big like disbursement immediately. It was like Santa Claus's sack got filled. And How did like, that feel? That was really special. That was really special. You know, it was for some of the people who, you know, I was able to do that for, and it was, it was life-changing. You know I mean? Uh, I enjoyed their happiness a lot more than I enjoyed mine. In yeah. some ways, you know, like that was like, that was really, really beautiful. And then as far as from the investment standpoint, I got like another 25% in money managers, kind of a safe, you know, quote, basket of different things from REITs to, you know, market vehicles to private, you know, vehicles that yield certain amounts to different things. I stayed away from like, you know, kind of like the big big funds and things like that. So they're, they're a little bit more creative trying to, trying to get a little bit higher yield, but it's relatively safe, but illiquid kept probably about, you know, 15% 
liquid just kind of going into the short-term bonds and things like that that I could get access to. And then um, put probably close to 10% in crypto at the worst time possible. Uh, but I was like, yeah, 10% in crypto? It's fucking Web3. Like, <laughs> how is this going to lose? Yes, <laughs> in yes. November, I was like, yeah, Web3, here it is. Writing's on the wall. <laughs> Bitcoin to 100. Yeah, like, let's go. Straight to 35. I didn't mean actually 100. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Yeah. So that was, that was actually tough. Cause then when that was happening, I was like, what did I do? I suck so bad. Yeah. Like, um, so it got me a little bit more risk averse, um, made some investments in some beautiful companies I believe in. Um, but again, some of the companies were dependent on, you know, SPACs and like go to market strategies. And obviously the market's been really brutal. So some of those, which seem like sure winners, it was like, I was dancing as I was like, giving the money away. I was like, Oh boy. Yeah. Like this is a fucking no more potential. I got this shit realized. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And, uh, so it's been an interesting, an interesting time staffed up my, um, you know, my own team as far as like what we're able to produce, uh, funded some different media projects, including awake in the darkness. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff going on and, um, it's now it's an interesting time because anything that I want to do pretty much I can do. And, uh, and so it's, it's interesting, man. It's interesting. And I'm not, I'm not good at it yet, you know, and I, and I, I shouldn't expect myself to be good at it yet. It's like, I've got six months practice doing that. And so I had to remind myself that like, it's okay, man. Like you did, you didn't make your money being a good investor and allocator of cash. You made your money building something that you were putting your sweat and blood in. And that's what you're good at. But I think I've navigated it to a way where like things are pretty, pretty comfortable. now. That's great. And and yeah, I think you bring up a a great point. You still, we all still need reps in whatever the thing is. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, is there, do you have people that you rely on to kind of glean wisdom from? Because that A is important, but at the same time, you've got to find out what works for you, what allows you to sleep at night. And then, as I said, you still have got to get your reps and you still have to invest in these different things and see how it feels for you. Yeah. I have different, I do. I have different people. I mean, everybody's like, nobody really has an answer right now though. You know, nobody's like, yeah, real estate for sure. I'm like, what do you mean? Nobody, nobody's even saying that first of all, but even if they did, I'd be like, what do you mean? How do you know? <laughs> you know like yeah. everybody's pretty much that I'm talking to is like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not too sure right now either. So it seems like chasing yield, diversification, you know, but ultimately backing things that I really believe in. That's, that's what I've come down to. It's like, do I fucking love this thing? And if I love that thing and I love the people who are involved in that thing, that's probably the best and safest bet. Cause I'm never going to regret that. You know, if I try to invest in some, you know, financial vehicle that I don't really understand, but I think it's going to get me some yield and and it goes down then I'll be like, what did I even do? I'd like, I was trying to make a bet. I was like gambling and, and instead of supporting and pushing energy into things that are going to be productive for the world. So that was a clear message that I got. And I've done a reasonable job of that outside of my crypto investments. But at the same time, I do believe in crypto and I yeah. do believe we need an alternate parallel structure to our current economic shit show of just continually printing cash. 
right? Like we need something. Also, we need to rebuild the way that we communicate. We need to rebuild a censorship resistant, you know, platform where we can share information much like our, our brother Justin's doing with, with Zion and JP. Like we need these things to exist. And it seems like crypto is the infrastructure for that. So I do believe in it, but it's <laughs> my, the volatility is, is uh, a little bit intense for me. It is. And I, I have the, the, the good fortune, I suppose, of having years of experience in trading. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm able to relax into those peaks and valleys yeah. more so than maybe most people, because I just know like, okay, this is the way it goes. And maybe the, the valley is a buying opportunity. It, the valley is always a buying opportunity. But the problem for me is when things start to ramp up, I get the fear of missing out yeah. complex. Yeah. And then that's when I spend all my, all my resources, like chasing, like, I don't want to be the only one who didn't do this. I don't want to look like an idiot. But don't get me wrong. When it goes up, I'm buying more too. It's like, <laughs> fuck it. I just miss like this next wave. Yeah. Evidently I didn't. <laughs> for people wondering as of recording this, I did not miss any wave. Yeah. But you brought up a couple of things that I think are really important. One, you talked about energy and um, understanding that money is energy is something that, I mean, I'm 50 now. I probably didn't understand until about a year, year and a half ago. And that changed my relationship to it. And along with that, you're talking about backing things that you absolutely believe in. And along ar- around the same time, I finally had that awareness. I've spent 20 plus years investing in plenty of different things. A lot of the things I didn't believe in, I did it for different reasons that are not aligned for me. Mm-hmm. So the fact that you've already tuned into that, you've got a huge leg up. And I mean, I don't know how many more reps you need there to understand because that has been the literally the most important thing for me. Again, in all my years of investing is tuning into that. It just makes it very clear. Yeah. And it becomes a fun ride. and. Um, you know, with that, it actually becomes a game. And when, when, when money becomes a game, it gets really fun Mm. because you're not attaching yourself to decisions you make when it's, you invest in something that you don't really believe in, but you think it's going to go up and it doesn't. You're just like, I'm a fucking idiot. Like I I don't know anything about this. Right. Right. And as as little as I understand about crypto, I understand the overall ethos. Right. So I'm, I'm, I love putting money into that and you know, Austin Floyd is a tremendous resource for me and vetting where I should be putting some of these, these nuggets. But I I love that you've already tuned into that. Um, It's, it puts you light years, but people never get there and they ride the wave of, you know, again, deep attachment to where they're putting their money when it's like so much of this is out of our control. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Ultimately, I want to use all of this. And it's not like I'm trying to hoard it for some future, you know, reality. Like I want to use this in ways that's supporting the world that we're in right now. Because the world of 20 years from now or 40 years from now, like like the people who have their, you know, if I can't even, like investing in something that yields in 20 years, like when you're in a company, what do they call it? Your IRA or yeah. your fucking whatever that is. Yeah, your 401k. 401k. Like, okay, maybe, maybe there's a world where that is valuable in 30 years. Maybe not. You know, like what can we do now? And not that we want to just blow everything now, but 
what can we do now that's supportive to building this world that needs to emerge so that we can all have that future? You know, mm. I mean, that's just the way that makes the most sense to me. So if I'm putting my money in places that are not, not doing that, then I'm just kind of wasting energy. You know, I'm mm. wasting potential energy. I, I agree. And that's, I've, you know, I had a 401k when I was trading, that was what, you know, our company had then. So it's a great vehicle, but once I left the firm, actually put it into some other things that were uh, honestly a little bit more sexy for me because that felt like stagnant energy. It felt like I could be doing something with that. Now, not everybody, and I don't actually recommend everybody taking the approach I do. It's just something that works for yeah, me. For sure. But, you know, one of the other important things is having dry powder. And, and what I'm hearing from you is I've got money waiting. If there's a, an amazing opportunity, you don't want to be sitting there holding your dick like, I can't do this because right. I'm spread too thin. And so you have money in the, the short-term bonds and stuff like that. That's super liquid. That's really important. Yeah. I mean, I want to be able, if, if a great film idea comes, comes my way and this is a, you know, couple million dollars to make this film that I think is going to shift culture. I don't want to be like, man, I wish I was able to do that. You know, like I want to always have some resource. It's like, all right, if, if there's, if it's go time, like I got enough firepower, mm -hmm. you know, to back it. Yeah. I think that's so important. And I've, I've gone through cycles when I have been too illiquid and finally kind of learning to forecast when there are some capital calls coming and when I have to just start saying no to things that aren't in true alignment. And then that reshifts my focus to why am I still investing in things that aren't a full yes? Yeah. So that's been part of my process, particularly lately. And it's been great to go through that. And without the shame and like, dude, you're fucking doing it again. It's like, okay, here you go again. Like what's going yeah. on in your life that you're feeling like you need to put your energy into these things that, that aren't really you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my biggest part of the illiquid portfolio besides just the safe money managed stuff is it's all psychedelic medicine focused. You know, got some, got a great team called Lionheart who's has a great fund. that's all, you know, pretty much entirely focused on the psychedelic renaissance. And I really trust those guys. I actually have a great crypto team too, that invests in all the new ICOs and things like that. So I have smart people who are picking things for me and I pick a couple on my own, but people I really trust. I like, I like them worrying about it. Yeah. And you know, cause I like looking them in the eye, like you got this. Yeah. And they're like, yep, we got this. I'm like, great. Yeah. And that, that allows you to be in the space that is, is most you and yeah, you get to be sure. the creator and, and, you know, just managing those people, but letting them do what they're really good at. Yep. So good for you on, look at you. Look at me. A fucking wise fucking man. <laughs> Yeah, I just step in every pile of dog shit and then I figure out which ones <laughs> will keep my shoes clean, you know? You know, if you, st if you step in pig shit, which we have at the house uh -huh. here, it actually doesn't stay on your shoes. So maybe you should consider getting a pig. No, definitely yeah, not. Little dry oh, you should. No, definitely not. Bring Vilano over no, here and nope, no reintroduce way. her to Petunia. Petunia tries to bite my legs. <laughs> She's sensing an energy from you. And I was over, I was over at our brother Darren's house and the dog pissed on my sock. I don't know what's going on. I got to get right with the animal world. I think it's Animals. time for you to look in the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I do want to ask you about on it specifically, you know, this was your baby. Yeah. You birthed this thing and 
you know, it's funny because I've been, I've been tuning into this for just investments where I'm a passive investor for something like Feel Free or Gel Blasters. Mm-hmm. I love the ride. I love it. It's so fun. There's a part of me that um, is already grieving when there's an exit because that ride's over. And I love the energy around it. It's, you know, when you get involved with people like Colin and JW with Feel Free mm-hmm. and just see how they work and just supporting them in any ways is really fun. And so there's a part of me that's grieving that. I'm curious having, you know, on it as your thing and then selling, A, it feels amazing because now you've, you get a, a, a nice whack of cash, but it's no longer your thing in that way. Mm. How has that been? It's still my thing. That's the thing. Because I, I am so soaked into the bones of on it. You know, like every, every single formula, like I was there tasting and testing ingredients. I was there with the, the doctors and the PubMed and I was there in every single aspect of it. So I don't feel separate from it. I still have my office there on it. I'm still, I'm in fewer meetings, but I'm still there showing up. That probably and, feels good. Yeah. And I'm still there showing up in support in, in many different ways. Every time I swing a kettlebell, I remember the first ones we ever got. And I remember that and the mace and the clubs. And then I go out to a different gym in Miami and I see people swinging a mace. They don't really know how to do it that well, but they're giving it hell. And I'm like, fucking A. Like, I, it's, it's so inextricable from who I am that I'm not feeling that. I'm not feeling that gap, uh, which is nice. It's I, nice. You got the best of both worlds. Because re- really people did. don't. They sell, they're out you actually get to enjoy the whole story of it still without as much admin around it. Correct. Wow. Fuck dude. Yeah, I know. Look at you. I mean, the whole on it thing, I have to say, I mean, I was far too stressed for the whole process. Of course, you know, I mean, I think as a, as a CEO, you're just trained to look for the problems constantly, right? Like that's part of your job. I don't know how you do it any other way. I mean, you can have more faith, but some part of the anxiety I think is actually adaptive to the task at hand, which is looking for every potential threat. So I don't know if it's even possible to do it another way. Um, but nonetheless, like there was some, it's not like it was just a joy ride the whole time. Of course I was fucking stressed a lot of times and there was some serious pinch moments, but overall, I gotta say this thing is like, I couldn't have written about it in a storybook in a better way. I'm just so blessed to to have been a part of that ride. And also every step of the way we made the right choices. You know, we really ran that company with honor and integrity. And and so what the company stands for, even beyond the products is something that I'm really proud of too. So, and, and then, you know, our exit was like beautiful and the team that we have that we're working with is beautiful. And, and Jason who's running it is, fucking amazing. It's like, it is really the dream scenario. You know, I, I couldn't have, I couldn't have scripted something more. I love hearing that. Cause again, I, I, I had an assumption that it was more traditional in the way that that kind of peeled off. But you know, the other thing I was going to ask you, and you partially answered it, like, what's the kind of the most challenging, what was the most challenging part of, of running on it? And it sounds like, oh, always looking for problems. And that's not your orientation to life. You're, right. you're more like, what's great about what's going on? Right. Like, where can we go deeper into that? But was there, 
maybe a moment where on it was on the brink was there like you didn't know it was going to make it yeah for sure we called it cash apocalypse uh, so cash apocalypse happened cash apocalypse was in i think 2017 and we had gotten down the road with a private equity firm that was going to put in some cash we got to the one yard line so much to the one yard line that we distributed all of the available cash in our bank account all of it went out to all of the all of the stakeholders because the very next day we were supposed to get this injection of capital. Oh my God. Didn't happen. So all of a sudden we have no cash we have, and we were expecting to get a bunch of cash. <laughs> and so we're like, wow, like this is a fucked up situation. How um, much, can you share how much cash you're expecting to get? Or? Like 20 million. Holy shit. Yeah, we we're expecting to get like 20 million. You know, we had a couple million in the bank. We always have a couple million working capital. You know, we don't try to run that too low, but we distribute all of it. So, you know, I had some money personally from that distribution and so did all the rest of the owners. So <laughs> ultimately, but we had all kinds of accounts payable and, you know, of course there's accounts receivable, but we needed that fucking window. Yeah. And it was so, it was so gnarly looking that our CFO, who we recently hired, ACE CFO, and he'd been working there for probably four months, you know, five months. And he just gets up in the middle of a meeting and he's like, yep, you guys are going to be bankrupt in a couple months and I'm out of here. And just walks out and leaves. And we're like, you got to be kidding me. He was wow. like, he's like, you guys, are, we, I've projected it out. You're bankrupt in a couple months. Uh, I'm out. And so Jason had to take over the entirety of his responsibilities as a CFO and the responsibilities as a COO during that time and just worked with every one of our different vendors and just said, look, we're in a tough spot. You know, we've always, we've always had a good relationship. Like give us, you know, move from net 60 terms to net 120. Like give us a little space. We promise we'll be back. Our sales are still there. We just have no cash. And he just worked it. And people were kind. I mean, we've always been kind to them and they were kind in return and we were able to build back. And, uh, and I, <laughs> I think um, Jason remembers the anniversary of the day that that CFO walked out. And for a couple of years, he would, uh, he would just send him a little text like, hey, still here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, that was a huge mistake that that guy made because he was, you know, had a bunch of equity that of course didn't invest because he walked out and we had a huge exit, you know, four years later. So yeah. Yeah. Still here. Still here. That's beautiful. Yeah. But that was, that was brutal. I mean, had to really come to terms with the idea like, wow, we, this, this whole thing may end, but it, if I had a feeling that it wouldn't just because we still had, you know, we still had sales. Yeah. You know, so it seemed like, it was something that was sortable. How long did you, like, once you got that news that they, they weren't going to come on board with the 20 million, like how long did you have to sit in that? Oh my God, this fuck, what the fuck? It coincided with, I mean, this was the hardest time of my life by far. It coincided. <laughs> oh it, I mean, it coincided with multiple things, you know, like multiple, like a loss of a very, very deep and important friendship, you know, and the, most intense, insane challenges in my polyamory journey. Like 
<laughs> physical health issues. Like some of these, so <laughs> these things are, are all of these things are actually so they're so personal and they're so deep and they involve other people. So I've like, I hint at them and I allude to them, but I actually, and I'm not even comfortable now sharing the details of these things, but all of them were fucking brutal. And it, they all hit like right at the same time. And it was, it was really, really tough going. I mean, that was tough going. And I remember, you know, there was just a couple people that I remember that were just, that were really there for me in that, in that stretch. And, uh, and I always like, no matter what, you know, that, like I have a few memories of when someone was really there for me and it's like, fucking a, like, thank you. Like you were a savior during that stretch. That's intense. I just to feel all that. And I'm guessing just like the hopelessness, like my whole fucking world that I've invested so much in, in, in whether it's a relationship on it, just crumbling. Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> yeah. Dude. Yeah. When in, um, you know, it, was, it was so funny too, because I had this, so I had this big birthday party and uh, I had this big birthday party. So February, 2017, I guess. And it was like, it was insane. And I was full, you know, full fledged polyamory. I had my primary partner, Whitney, my two other girlfriends there. It was insane. It was, I set up a beer pong table in a nightclub and I was just, I could have closed my eyes and hit every cup. I was just bawling people, talking shit, dancing with my girls. Like I am fucking on top of the world. And it was kind of like this, it was this ironic final hurrah and i actually had a guy filming there because he was filming i've seen this right you think oh it is the video fuck yeah and it was just me balling out of control and then that was like the peak and the universe was like oh that's cute <laughs> now, now how about the sewer ride and i was like no god <laughs> holy shit yeah it was and it happened like literally days after like some of the the dominoes started to fall the wrong way, like literally days after that. It's like, boom, 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 boom. And it was utter destruction. Yeah, damn. And I was going to ask the timing in 2017, because that's really when we met for the first time was yeah. the fall at On It when we were doing NAD together with mm -hmm. Kyle and Tim Ferriss was there and Lance. And we had a, we had a good crew there. Yeah, um, That was a, a pivotal point uh moment in my life as kyle really came into my life mm. you know the the type of guide he is and and uh yeah just shifted my whole idea of what it means to show up for someone yeah so super grateful for kyle um kyle kingsbury Likewise. for those who don't who don't know let's talk a little bit about awaken the darkness you know again we've spoke about it on the previous podcast but for those who haven't listened to it you've uh put out this film that is your journey through that. Mm -hmm. And I loved, I particularly, first of all, it's visually just beautiful. Like, oh my gosh, like Ben did an amazing job with the, the direction of that. But you hit on a lot of different things in there. And, you know, one was, again, something we talked about before, your relationship to Chris Marcus, mm. something that resonates with me. Uh, you know, with John Callahan. Mm. Um, and it, one of the things you said was, you know, something to the effect of he, 
he was really hard to love or it was hard to love him. I forget exactly how you articulated it, but mm. that like really landed for me. Like, what is it about it for me that makes John Callahan hard to love where Cal is this different avatar? Right. Yeah. I think when, when you change your name, you try to make a clean break and you lump all of the attributes that you didn't like about yourself into that name and then build all of the positive things that you want into your other name, which <laughs> Fuck, dude, it, yes, which, is, yes. <laughs> which is in some ways cool, but in some ways it's actually just, you know, putting in exile the entirety of your former self, right? Like you can't just, you can't do that and not exile all of the beauty of who you once were. And I really realized that in the darkness, like, I had moved so far away from Chris Marcus. Chris Marcus was a failure in my eyes, you know, and, and I was like, I was done being a failure. Of course, Chris Marcus wasn't a failure, but in my eyes, Chris Marcus was a failure. And so I had just kind of exiled that whole chapter of myself. And I'm not, I'm not talking like the little boy, Chris, I'm talking about like, teenaged in, in your twenties, trying different businesses, failing, being depressed, you know, going through the whole thing. Um, and it was, it was a clear message. Like, no, I got to bring him back. I got to bring him back with love and really love and appreciate every aspect of, of who he was and who he is still alive within me. You know, so I think, uh, that was just a very clear message that came through the darkness. And then how, you know, how has that integration been for you? It's funny, yesterday, or I guess maybe the day before yesterday, no, yesterday, I was at my little niece's through, uh, third birthday. And some of the people who took care of me and took care of the house more so, actually, because I was getting older from when I was like 14 up through. I don't know, as long as I was still living with my parents. So through college, 24 or whatever, 14 to 24, like 10 years, Irma and Martine, they only knew me as Chris. So there's not a lot of people that call me Chris, not a lot of people. And they don't, they're not like on social media. They're not listening to my podcast, but I saw them for the first time in like, I don't know, 15 years or something like that. It's, Damn. Like, it's been a long time. Wow. And they were there because they're still, you know, taking care of my family's house. So I've just never been there when they, when they're there. Um, they say, Chris, Chris, like, like, like so much love and I have so much love for them. And it was probably the first time that I didn't flinch hearing the name, hearing myself be called Chris or feel any urge to correct them. You know, it was like, I could see how much they loved Chris too. And so anything that I put out there that was like, oh, that's not me would have just been almost gaslighting their opinion of who I was. You know, they were so overjoyed to see me, not overjoyed because of what I'd done, but just overjoyed because they loved that version of me. You know, even if I forgot to flush the toilet sometimes, <laughs> like, you know, as a normal kid, but um, it was cool. It was cool to feel like I'm not, I'm having, I don't have that part of me exiled anymore and I can really love it. And if someone wants to call me Chris, like, that's fine. That's I awesome. That. I love that as, as feedback too, because there have been many moments in my life where I flinched and felt tension around being called John. And 
I'm going to tune into that, you know, kind of going forward. Cause this part of my work is, is integrating and loving, you know, that boy, that teenager, you know, that, that one who was, you know, we know he's doing the best he could and he was yeah. getting his reps in. Yeah. Fucking exactly. up. Exactly. Doing it quote unquote the wrong way, but actually just navigating through life. And yeah, maybe he was striving a lot more than I am today, but you, you only know that striving is not the way when you've done it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's beautiful. It's gotta be kind of challenging thinking about with kids, you know, like letting them, that's really a, an, an aspect of the divine masculine in, in general is there's some allowance of making mistakes. Like the divine masculine says, yeah, you know, enjoy your separation from me, from love, from the truth. Like, it's okay. Like, I know you'll come back. You know, it's gotta be tough. It's gotta be tough to be able to see, see the mistakes happening, but know that there's some part of you that just has to let them happen. Yeah. You know, that's great. That's, that's a, it's a great point because it's something that was really hard for me. And I wasn't, uh, you know, years ago, wasn't someone who I wanted my kids to be little versions of me, but still there was tension trying to control, like trying to help them navigate. And it wasn't until a few years ago where I actually witnessed them each as individual souls. And, and that just let everything yeah, off. For sure. And then, then I started to the same, um, you know, space that I've afforded myself in my journey to have my own experiences and to learn from them. I've actually been able to give gift that to them and show up in a way where they actually get to make their own choices and deal with the consequences. And they're not coming down from me necessarily. And so it's like this playing of boundaries where there's like enough structure. So they're not just fucking off all the time, but mm -hmm. there's not so much that they don't know who they are. And so right. it's, it's, it's been a beautiful you know, I'd say the last couple of years, just the depth of my relationship with each of my kids is, has really gotten to a level that I didn't think was possible because I'd never experienced it. And right. I was like, oh, I'm, I'm a pretty good dad. My kids like me and, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they're not fuck ups. And mm -hmm. just to really um, see the benefits of building that bridge to them and, and, and really creating trust through my actions, not through my words. And so I think you're, you're really onto something where one of the most challenging parts of being a parent is letting go yeah. and seeing them as their own sovereign beings. And they just happen to live in my house and yeah. I want to model good behavior, but I also don't want to hide all the shit I've done. Right. You know, whether it's, you know, plant medicines or you know, whatever stumbles I've had, I share very free, freely with them and let them understand that even when you fuck up, like it, it, there's learning in that. And, mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have to go through your own Always. bit of that. So tell me this, you mentioned um, in the, in the darkness retreat, you had a connection with your dad mm -hmm. and there was a, there was a forgiveness that was shared. And I'm curious if, if that moment has been able to bridge um, something within the relationship for you, or if it may be just put you in a different space with your relationship. I was angry at my father for losing his mind. You know, I, I blamed him in some ways for, you know, not being able to stay in my life. And I think the big, the big thing that happened in the darkness was that, you know, a, a really 
powerful vision that I had where he was, he was there with me and sharing his wisdom and his love with me in that vision. And it's shifted the anger, you know, like I don't, I used to have dreams. I would have dreams where I was yelling at him. I would just be somewhere and, and I would just be screaming at him because I think I was angry and I was, I was so close to him. And then now I, now he's unavailable. And, um, and that, that really shifted and that was important. And I feel like that chapter isn't done. Um, you know, I get, I get ideas of spiritual tasks that the universe wants me to complete. And sometimes I matriculate them to the top of the list. And sometimes I leave them somewhere down at the bottom. It's like, yeah, I'll get to that. And I think some of the work with my dad is still down at the bottom of the list. Like, yep, I know it's there. Rescue the Lost Father at Astra. Like I saw the movie. I get the, I get the myth. Oh, like yeah. I need to fucking go do this thing. And I'm putting it, you know, I'm putting it off. And uh, I think it's important. I think it's important. And, and I'm really in a, in a season right now where with infinite opportunities and possibilities, because, you know, you know, even as a, as an athlete, as an investor, as a, as anybody in, in your life, as someone who's building something, when the momentum's hot, you know, you fucking go. Right. Yeah. But my momentum is perpetually hot. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's like, I have to get used to, I'm in a new landscape and I have to make a new set of priorities and I have to really value the, the yin time, value my wu wei time, value all of these other counterbalancing efforts, value my spiritual practices. like value my grief practices whatever i need to do like it, it it matters and of course like i can ignore it and continue to go on and and do other things but i don't want to do that forever so right now is like a very strong call to just put all of the cards out on the table it's almost like i want like in those old movies you know they have those like the war room meeting where you have all these different pieces and you move these pieces around it's almost like i want a tangible vision board type of situation with all of my projects and I want to look at them all and I want to move some to the front like I was playing chess move some to the front move some to the back and like have a little war council with myself about what's really important about the campaign in my life and so I'm thinking about actually trying to literally do that because I, I you can do it in lists and digital stuff or a whiteboard but I feel like I like I want to like feel them I want to like put the energy and symbolize them in a thing in a figurine or crystal or I don't care and then be like all right what's really important to me and then just feel that and then be willing to adjust it so I don't know I'm, I'm like playing with that practice fuck man I, I love that idea because I've you know as we were sharing before we got on I'm, I'm in a very similar kind of charging energy right now and it feels really good because there's things that I'm really connected to that are moving and I'm I want to be present for the ride. I want to be a part of it, but I need to be more discerning because I haven't spent the time for my rest. You know, my chi is not high right now and, and I rely on some other things to pump up my energy so that I can be present for these, these things that are happening. But at, at the same time, now, this is just an idea of laying it on. I fucking love that, dude. Because I've whiteboarded the fuck. You see my whiteboard right there? Yep. I whiteboard a lot. And it's useful. Yeah. But I need a new practice to really get clear on 
what moves to the top? And by the way, the reason I was nodding my head when you were speaking about your dad and where that relationship sits, you know, kind of on the list of priorities is I've felt the same way with my dad. And there have been some shifts that have felt really good, but I feel like we're at like the 10 yard line going the other way. And it just hasn't been a priority. And I don't know if it's me just not ready. And when I'm ready, I'll move. Or if I'm putting it off for other reasons. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's interesting. You know, I, it's, it's difficult to quantify the importance of it. That's what's hard about it. It's like, it's easier to quantify the importance of other things. You know, your spouse, for example. Okay. That's obvious. That shit's fucked up. Everything's fucked up. <laughs> you know, your whole, Fact. your whole life gets thrown out of whack. Everything stops. Nothing's fun. So like, it's really easy to quantify putting in the work in your, on your relationship, in that relationship. Really easy to quantify these big opportunities and things that shift your life hard to quantify what the, what the daily nagging energy suck and what the missed opportunity is from a relationship that's stagnant, you know, and it's hard to quantify that with, with not just the key people like family members with everybody and hard to say, like, I have loved seeing people and I have so many people that I love, but it's, it's difficult to be like, is this worth it? Is this worth it? And I think what I've come to realize is I have to rely on a faculty that's more intelligent than my brain. And that's just my feeling. Be like, do I want to? Do I feel like doing this thing? And, um, and if I don't feel like doing it, is there something that I'm, av- that I'm avoiding? Is there a part of me that I don't want to see? Is there something that's, that I'm averse to that I'm actually pushing? Is there resistance in the way? Obviously, we have to be mindful of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm trying to rely on my subconscious, you know, spiritual intelligence that just knows what to do because I can't figure it all out. Yeah, dude. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's what I found is when everything in my life seems like it's humming along, it's like, my life is really good. I just don't, I just don't understand the implications of what, really, um, I don't want to say fixing that relationship, but actually having a, a Investing real in it. Yeah. I don't know what what's the, the, what's the ROI. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard to know. I mean, and with, I think I know, I know that there's a, there's a time and there's an opportunity for me to do something with my father. I don't know what the ROI is other than knowing that I did, that I did what I could, you know? And I think that's really important because what is the what is the catastrophic loss of my father dying me knowing that i had a task to do and then looking back and going damn i just put that off and i didn't get to do it you know that's <clears throat> that's a bummer you know and and i think that's not the only reason to do it but i think the weight of that for the rest of my life would be heavy and no matter what the outcome is, to know that I gave it my best, that I showed up and, and really offered the best that I could, like, that's important. All right. So let's wrap up with what's, what's alive for you right now? What gets you out of bed in the morning? I'm studying with uh, a guy named Dr. Mark Gaffney, who's uh, 
an erotic mystic in the ancient Kabbalistic mystery schools all the way back to the Temple of Solomon. And he's putting me on to a way of looking at the world, which maps with so many truths that I've come to know, but with names and lineages and and Hebrew words that are expressing exactly the sentiments that I had, but never had a word for. And it's fucking blowing my mind. So that's one of the most exciting things that's come to be in the last, I don't know, two months or so. Neurotic mystic? Erotic. Erotic. Okay. That was, okay. That makes yeah, a little more sense. I mean, maybe he's a little neurotic. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, an erotic mystic. It's basically explaining the universe in terms of allurement and attraction, how everything from the first principles of how subatomic particles are attracted to each other to how the gravitational forces pull this desire for ever greater wholeness, complexity, aliveness that comes when two people are in that communion together and, and finding the divinity in that expression called Shekinah, like the goddess, the goddess divine is part of this allurement and attraction and how We've exiled all of our eroticism into the sexual, but the mm. sexual is only supposed to model the erotic. It's not supposed to exhaust the erotic. So it's about living a fully erotic life using sex if you want to help you practice living an erotic life. But nonetheless, the entirety of life is supposed to be erotic because if we exile the eroticism of all of life into the sexual, sexual collapses under a weight that it can no longer bear. And that's the, that's the ultimate idea. It's like, how do you live a life where you're so full, so full of aliveness and so full of, of energy and zest for everything that is, um, that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Have you, have you, um, noticed any practices that you've let go of or brought into your life to try to tap into this more, uh, erotic way of living? It's really, it's what all the other kind of mystics of our time have been talking about. When Ramdas wrote, Be Here Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the eroticism of the present moment, like the aliveness that comes from being Eckhart Tolle's books, you know, Power of Now. What is he talking about? There's aliveness there. Of course, there's kind of a, a Buddhist track, which is a little bit separate, which is kind of like, let's remove you from the the passions of life because they're so up and down and the thrills and the defeats and all of that. But that's not this path. That's a different path. It's a beautiful path, but it's not this path. It's about really sinking into the aliveness of every moment and actually appreciating desire, lishma for its own sake. So instead of worrying about the satiation of your desire, like appreciate the desire itself. And instead of having it outcome driven, be like, no, I, I love that I want that. I love that I want that. Like, let me feel the desire without the necessity for the satiation of the desire because life is desire. Wow, dude, that's awesome. It's cool. Yeah. Um, all right, let's wrap. Could have spent a lot more time on all this stuff, especially with the documentary, but I, I really want to push people to watch it and yep. sit with it because it's amazing. Um, where can people find that? Where can they learn all about you? Yeah. AubreyMarcus.com. That'll work. Or Instagram at AubreyMarcus. Um, my YouTube channel at AubreyMarcusPod. 
I mean, it's all there. Fit for service summits are going great. Yeah, we didn't yeah. even get to touch on that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's so all, much. It's all going good, but everything, everything's there. Just follow me on, follow me on Insta. I'll point you in the, point you in some interesting directions and you can always check out my website. Awesome. Well, dude, thanks for coming on. This is, course, it's, I, I, I particularly love these types of podcasts when it's someone that I'm so close to and we haven't seen each other for a while. So it's yeah. a beautiful way to catch up and, you know, to share with everybody listening no, no, today. We could have we done this with a sandwich out in a park somewhere, but we just did it with microphones. That's right. And some volcanoes. Yeah. <laughs> All right, brother. Thank you so much. Of course. Thanks, everybody. You've been listening to The Great Unlearn. For more information, check out the show notes or head over to thegreatunlearn.com for additional episodes and information regarding events, retreats, and the TGU store. If you like what you heard today, please click subscribe and share this with friends who might enjoy our platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review as it really helps us spread the love and unlearning. You can find me on Instagram at cal.callahan and on YouTube under The Great Unlearn. Thanks for listening to The Great Unlearn, and we'll talk soon. No, no different, only different in your mind. You must unlearn what you have learned.